Hey guys, this is Coach V. And I'm Coach David. This is the Kaizen Karate Podcast. Coach David, we have a very, very, very special episode today. Episode 100. Can you believe it? 100. It is so hard to believe. I, I don't know where time goes. I mean, I, you know, just to, to, to recap, you know, we started all, the, all of this on Facebook Lives. I don't even know how many years ago. <laughs> a long time. Uh, pandemic hit. You know, we started doing our podcasts and keeping everyone connected. And, you know, over these last few years, the Kaizen podcast has been a way for us to keep everyone together, to connect, to get all the latest news out there, not just for our local students, but all of Kaizen Nation, everybody out there. And I'm proud to say we're in well over 60 countries. Um, we just want to thank everybody who's who's been a supporter and been a fan, and we cannot do it without you. We, we greatly appreciate it. Coach David, we have a very, very special guest today for to, to help us celebrate episode 100. Could you talk about it and give us a quick uh, introduction? Yeah, we sure do. We have uh, someone who I'll say is a personal hero of mine, and I know of yours too, and we're talking about Senior Grandmaster Chuck Sullivan. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit of a backstory about Mr. Sullivan. Senior Master, I'm going to say it's Senior Master. That means he is the man. IKC Senior Master Chuck Sullivan began studying the art of Kempo in February 1959 with Mr. Edmund K. Parker, Senior, founder of the system known today as American Kempo. Mr. Sullivan was the fourth person promoted to black belt by Ed Parker Sr. on February 27, 1962. In September 1981, he was promoted by Mr. Parker to seventh degree black belt at the original Karate Connection Dojo in Hawthorne, California. Since beginning in 1959, Mr. Sullivan has studied or taught the art of Kempo continuously for over 63 years. Mr. Sullivan has earned the highest levels of respect from the Kempo community through his many decades of service. Today, Chuck is regarded as the elder statesman of Kempo by numerous practitioners. With his astounding tenure and influence, nearly all senior practitioners in Parco lineage Kempo have either studied under or have been influenced by the teachings of Mr. Sullivan. Not being one to rest on his laurels, after nearly 31 years in the art, Mr. Sullivan was the first in the Kempo community to design, develop, and implement a complete distance learning program. He was on the forefront of using technology to teach and evaluate his self-defense system, making Kempo available to all. With the founding of the Karate Connection, later the International Karate Connection Association, now IKCA Incorporated, he has allowed literally thousands of practitioners worldwide to learn and experience IKCA Kempo. These people run the gamut from absolute beginners to highly experienced martial artists. The IKCA presently has over 625 people who have earned the level of black belt or higher. Wow. Coach David, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps hearing that. And, uh, you know, before we bring in Chuck here, I just want to tell you something. Both of us are proud, proud members of the IKCA. Uh, we're both also certified instructors. We hold CI certifications. Uh, you know, we have multiple students uh, within the system who are actively training. And Coach David, I, I could not be more proud to be a member of the IKCA. Uh, and I cannot tell you how thrilled I am uh, that we can have Chuck here to join us. So without any further ado, uh, here is our interview. 
Hey guys, we are here for episode 100 with Senior Grandmaster Chuck Sullivan. Chuck, how are you doing, sir? Fantastic. Fantastic. Talking to you guys. Great. Well, I, well, I got to tell you, we are just thrilled. You know, uh, Coach David, myself, we, we've been, uh, we're, we're just so fortunate to have you on. We've been talking about it for a while and it couldn't have been uh, a better occasion here than to celebrate episode 100 of the podcast. And, you know, if, we're, if it's okay with you, sir, we're going to jump right into things. And we just wanted to kind of make sure that everyone gets an idea of your background a little bit. You know, you know, Chuck, you've been doing, been in the martial arts for, uh, for a long time. You bring so much knowledge. Can you give us a little bit of a glimpse of the early days when you first started? How did you get started? Why did you start? Uh, that's funny. Uh, you never heard the story? Maybe you have. But <laughs> your audience. Uh, my uh, my brother-in-law came uh, home. He was living with us at the time. He just got out of the Marine Corps, and. Um, he came home and he said, did you know there's a judo school about Tweedy Boulevard? Tweedy is a little main street in Southgate. And uh, I know, uh, but I always wanted to study judo. Unfortunately, growing up in Chicago, uh, there were no judo schools available. I mean, it just it just didn't happen. Uh, even if you had the money, you, you couldn't go. And we didn't have either. <laughs> you didn't want to go to school. But uh, I had always wanted it. And in and out of the Marine Corps, uh, I, I never got the chance. Well, here was a school right near my house. So I beat feet up there, man. I was like, bum, 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 bum. and I'm looking in the window and it's closed. And uh, it's, it's like, darn, well, I got to come back when it's open. And there's two guys behind me leaning against the car talking. And one of them says, are you interested in that? Yeah. Uh, how much does it cost? Because that's the first thing you asked in 1959. Uh, and when you're building a family and everything else, the first thing you ask is how much if it costs too much, you don't go there. <laughs> right. And he said, well, we, we don't actually teach that. Because I, I asked how much you have the judo rest. And he says, we don't teach And I look up on a, on, a, on a roof and there's a great piece of four by eight feet. It's a J-U-D-O. I, I said, wow. It sure looks like they teach judo. Okay, so they don't. But on the window, there was uh, other writing, uh, gold leaf lettering. And uh, one of them was this word I had never seen before. And I said, well, what does AT do? And he says, no, that's Aikido. I said, well, he said, we don't teach that either. <laughs> now I'm looking for Alan Funt. Candy camera. All right, who's talking? Well, you know, what? what is it? You got two sides and they don't teach. So there's one more word. I'll give it a shot. K-A-R-A-T-E. What is karate? Because it's K-A-R. How would you pronounce it? And he says, no, that's karate. I said, what? I never rolled an R in my life. Karate. Well, it took me about five minutes to learn how to say it, first of all. And uh, then when I had the, the, the word down, they said, well, we, we teach that. Oh, well, what is it? I've never heard of it. Quite frankly, in 1959, this was February 1959, nobody I knew had ever heard of it. No one in the United States knew what the word karate was. And we pronounced it karate for a long time until everybody else started pronouncing it karate. And then we said, well, what? Once I was telling a, a customer about, about it, and he says, well, Chuck, is, is, is karate anything like karate? <laughs> 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 uh, quite a bit like, uh, but uh, <laughs> that's not the pronunciation. Anyhow, we lost that war, obviously. We, we won the battle, but we lost the war. And um, so it became karate. And it still sounds weird to me because I learned it as karate, and it's always been karate to me, although I do speak. I say karate when I'm talking to some, uh, a civilian, put it that way. <laughs> so 
uh, asked if I could. Well, he, we started talking about it, and he said, well, would you like to see some of it? And, uh, yeah, well, he had a key. And we went into the into the, the place. And there's a bath on the floor. There's a tummy. Uh, and a uh, little walking area, a little desk and a chair. And, and that was it. That was the tall one, little, one little bathroom in the place. About 700 square feet. It wasn't very big. It was more like a garage. And uh, so he started showing me some of the stuff. And it's all striking. And uh, I was a little disappointed because I envisioned some big guy like David Sides going through a plate glass window. You know, that's that's what I envisioned. I could be able to do it well. Obviously, that never happened. So, <laughs> um, anyhow, he started showing me some things. And, and this was just a, a young guy. And I was not a kid. I was not a child when I, when I started. I discovered this. I was 27 years old, which is a little old, really, to be getting into it. Uh, at that time, it was it was a really a young man's and teenager type endeavor. Uh, old people, old, I was 27 years old. Ed Parker was 27 years old, but he was getting ready to turn 28 the next month, and I just turned 27 three months before that. So we're four months apart in age. He's four months. He's four months older than I. You know, I'm four months younger than he. Anyhow, uh, so he started showing me some things. And uh, it looked real interesting. And as I say, I'm not, I wasn't some wide-eyed 16-year-old who you could, you could uh, BS, you know, by showing a couple of fancy things and, and, and impress the heck out of you. I was uh, a married man. I had children. I was, I was starting my business. Uh, and um, things were, were starting to move along for me at that time. But I, needed, I knew I needed something physical to do. Uh, I'd been out of the Marine Corps for five years to the month, actually, and um, I had lost all of the physical training I had in the Corps, and I was just working and, and going to school and so on, and uh, I'd gotten kind of pudgy, and I knew I needed something to uh, to firm me up, and uh, and this looked like it could be it, so I asked him to come down and watch a class. I said, sure, sure. Well, then I, these Tuesday and Thursday, they were there. In fact, the school was only open Tuesday and Thursday which you can't make a buck at. You can't make the rent at that. And you've got to have somebody there. When people like me come along and want to join, there's got to be somebody there. Well, fortunately, there was these two guys there that night because otherwise I, I, might, not have, I might have missed it altogether. It was closed. It would be closed all the time. In fact, it only stayed open for about, I think, about four months. And the reason that the school was there in the first place was that it had been an Aikido school uh, run by a name man by the name, I think of Sharp, Dan Sharp. And he had been an Air Force uh, sergeant. And he would start an Aikido school wherever he was stationed. And then he would leave it in the care of his most senior student. Well, he didn't have a student, a student senior enough at the time. So he sold it to Ed Parker. Well, Ed Parker didn't know if all of his Aikido students were going to want to learn karate because he wasn't going to teach him Aikido. He couldn't. And uh, so he, he threw a little demonstration for him. And he retained all of them, wow. all of them. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. When Ed Parker moved, electricity crackled off the walls. I mean, that man radiated stuff that that just was unworldly. Well, anyhow, that's another story. But uh, so I went to, to the uh, next week, and I, and I watched. And uh, of course, I didn't realize that the kid didn't hardly know anything. In three months, I was better than he was. <laughs> but he impressed me enough at that time. To want to go back and that, that, that I did and I saw Ed Parker and uh, Ed was at the at the top of his game at that time 
He's 27 years old. He's lean and mean and a fighting machine. And I just, I watched him and I said, man, if he ever, if he ever hits anybody with his little finger, they're dead. <laughs> I mean, that's what, that's the impression I got watching him. Uh, he, the, the, the power he admitted uh, and, and, and the fast, I mean, fast, good God, I've never seen him do that fast. He was, he was just a, a blender. <clears throat> I mean, his hands, wow. So, uh, and then we, we sat down after the class and, and the guys were sweating. Oh boy, were they sweating. I mean, their geese were, I didn't know what a gi was, but I, I mean, I've seen pictures of you know, karate uniforms, actually juro uniforms. There was no such thing as a, as a karate uniform at the time. We, we wore juro uniforms that are heavy padded for no reason because we didn't fall down. So, but that's all that's all they had. So that's what the button. And later on, they finally came out with uh, lightweight uh, karate geese. But I, I watched them, and I, we sat down together at Parker and I, and he asked me. He little he would do an interview of you of everybody that wanted to study his art, and he'd ask you why, why, why do you want to study my art? Uh, well, I had answers because I thought about it. I mean, I again, I was just walking in there cold, and my answer was, of course, I was I wanted something physical. I couldn't see lifting weights. I couldn't see running. Uh, this just looked to me like the perfect answer. I mean. Perfect. I put it to him this way. I said, you know, I look at it like auto insurance. I don't want to buy car insurance. I have to buy car insurance because when you need it, you really need it. And I looked at this the same way. I don't want to ever use it. But if I got it, if I got if I want if I have to use it, I got it. I got it all all the time because a knife or a gun. You can't carry a knife or a gun all the time. You can't carry one right out of the shower. But when it's your hands and feet, you got them all the time. You, you need them, you got them. So I said, that's, and he, he liked that. <laughs> now, Chuck, and, uh, yes. Yeah, question for you. What, um, you were one of Mr. Parker's very first black belts. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Well, what happened there? That's another story. Okay. <laughs> Want me to get into that right now? Yeah, anything you like, okay. sir. All right. Well, anyhow, uh, as far as the Zasuke uh, the school was concerned, it lasted for about, like I say, three or four months. And then uh, then I had to drive, instead of a block and a half to the school, I had to drive 26 miles on surface streets from Southgate through East Los Angeles, through, uh, through uh, um, whatever, Altadena, all the towns up to Pasadena. And I mean, there was no freeways. I, I could get on the freeway for about a mile. And the rest of the surface trees, but I did, and about three of three or four of us went there for a while, and uh, I think it, finally there was probably only three of us. And then in uh, 1991, uh, 91, I was still a white belt. I just made brown. I just uh, I made brown in, in April of 51, and in about June or July. A man by the name of Jimmy Wu, who was writing, co-writing a book with Ed Parker at the time, um, sold the entire advanced class, the entire advanced class, because Ed was still building his, I'm sorry, I refer to him as Ed, because that's what we did. Uh, I'm probably one of the only people around that can really claim that I was there when we were absolutely on a first name basis. There was no Mr. Parker, Mr. Sawyer. He would call me up and say, Mr. Solomon, I said, Mr. Parker. Then we'd come in and jump. 
other than the, the greeting way, it was your we first name. And uh, he was building his dynasty at the time. He was he was so involved in, in everything. The man worked 20 hours a day. And you know what? You can't do that. You can't do that and, and survive and live, really. Uh, he, he just, he worked himself to death. Unfortunately, that's what happened to Ed Parker. He worked himself to death. Uh, I, I've never known anybody that had the energy that he had. He would wake up on the run, and I'm sure he was still running when he went to sleep at night. And I would leave sometimes at 2 in the morning when, when we were doing our film business. We, we just, anyhow, what happened when, uh, when, they, when they left, there was three black belts. Chris Montgomery was first, Jimmy Brown was second, and a man named Rick Torres was third. Now, there were about seven bucks, probably six, seven, six to eight brown belts, of which I was one. But I was a new one. And there would have been a few more brown belts that would have been black belts had they stayed before me. So I would probably have been somewhere about six in line. Well, when they left, they lost their, their place in history. Really, they, they left and they went with you and they never came back. I never saw them again. Any of them, the whole, the, the entire advanced class. I showed up that night. I, <clears throat> when Jimmy was lobbying everybody, I was, I didn't, I didn't care for style. We have, we have two techniques in our system that I stole from, I didn't steal them. He taught them to me. That Jimmy would taught a Chinese longhand and fist uh, fury. I love them, but not as a whole system. I mean, if that's everything is based on those moves of our entire system, that's that's pretty shallow. Techniques are great, integrated in our system as as you know, part of our system, but not, not as an entire system. And that's basically what, what he said, what he had. He sold them those guys on a lot of things. That uh, he was gonna have a, a Kung Fu school on every corner in every hamlet in every city in, in America. Well that didn't happen. They opened up on a crappy in the top Hollywood Boulevard. And stayed there for 20 years. Never got one, not one inch bigger. Never moved. Never anything. Nothing ever happened. So that that part was all pie in the sky. It never developed that way. He, he kept that Ed Parker too small. I asked what he had to. Wait, 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 wait. Ed Parker's too slow. What do you want to? And he says, No, no. As far as business, as far as building. And I said, Oh, I can Well, oh, and Jimmy was going to take it to places it had never been before. Well. He did to the ground. So, anyhow, um, Jimmy sold him on the idea also that Ed Parker taught you everything he knows. So, and with me, I'll teach you the real stuff. He didn't have the real stuff. He just he had what he had, and it was different. And for a little while, about that long, I was intrigued by it. But once I got to know what it was, I was not intrigued by it at all. I, well, yeah, it was far better. But I saw that, but the other guy said, they they were they were conned. They were conned by a good con man, and they went with him. And I was the only guy that stayed. And now, wow! I mean, talk about a position. I was a face of the crowd before. Suddenly, I was the only guy that had stayed with him. The only guy that, that remained true and loyal. I mean, I became like a step under under Jesus. I mean, I was like, <laughs> oh my, oh my, what, what a. What a position to be in. And I, I, I was, oh, I loved it. <laughs> I mean, 
he and I became best friends. I mean, I mean, uh, we we call each other daily, sometimes more than more than once a day, and just passing ideas back and forth. And one of the things that I said to him early on, I said, "You've written two really good books." Well, he was still in the process of writing the second one, and I said, "But you know what? A still picture. If a still picture is worth a thousand words, then a movie is going to be worth a million." Because now I said, "You've got to see." Karate move. You have to see the, 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 the dynamics of it in order to appreciate it, in order to know what it is. And so I, I proposed that we make eight millimeter films and sell them as an introduction. And I said, basically, what they are is to show you move. That's what I want the people to see, to be able to see them. So I proposed, I said, uh, I'll tell you what, I said, I, I, I didn't know anything about film. Uh, but I, I knew that we could make, we could get them made and and, and, uh, and edit them down and, and you know and we could we could do this. We sold those films for five dollars and ninety five cents. It was a uh, fifty foot reel, and uh, we got how many there were, but there was about five or six, and uh, they were five ninety five. And I I thought later on I thought, wow, what a bargain that was five dollars and you know what? In today's dollars, that's worth about twenty bucks. <laughs> so they weren't that cheap after all. So much for bargains. <laughs> in two thousand twenty-two dollars, I believe, is right around twenty bucks. That five ninety-nine. So uh, we did all right. We did we did very well. And eight millimeter film was about the only uh, thing, that, the medium that was available to everybody. Everybody had an eight millimeter projector, uh, a camera. Uh, color film. I mean, everybody's shooting shooting eight millimeter film, and I I learned uh, through going to uh, studios and I mean um, production houses, uh, not production houses. They're just uh, they process processing houses really. Uh, what what it was going to take us to get a fifty foot reel of film? It's, well, you shoot it on sixteen millimeter. Uh, well, we didn't have a sixteen millimeter camera. Yes, we did. Leilani Parker, his wife, told my wife Florence one time, he says, we've got a basement full of stuff that Ed Parker has bartered for lessons. And she says, and, and he had a 16 millimeter camera, which is what we used to film the, the film. Otherwise, they had to buy a camera. Well, fortunately, we didn't have to buy a camera. We already had one. And uh, <laughs> I wonder how much of the stuff that he had in his basement he actually got to use. <laughs> <laughs> We have a Facebook for stuff. Ed Parker would barter anything for lessons. Why not? They didn't cost him anything. Right. He was he was bartering absolutely for free. <laughs> he was getting merchandise. <clears throat> Something to think about. <laughs> and uh, and he knew that most of the people that bartered the stuff, their their belongings, were going to be there three months from there anyway. So, you know, he, he was getting stuff for free, and he did that a lot. I never did that. Uh, I wanted the cash. <laughs> so how we, long we, after we, how long after was it till you got awarded your black belt from when those guys all left? All right, uh, yeah, I became the fourth black belt in the system because when they left, there was no other black belt, and there wasn't any promotions to black belt until September of '62. That's when I got my black belt, and it was he was actually a little early. I tried to talk him out of it. I, I wanted it to take me a full four years. I was still from September to February, shy of four years. September, October, November, December, January. 
about five months short of five years, uh, four years. And I wanted, I really wanted to, I, I put it to him this way. I said, I feel that getting a black belt should be like a college degree. It takes you four years. He says, I don't know, Chuck, a lot of people make it in less time than four years. <laughs> I knew I lost that battle right, that battle right away. <laughs> he, um, he wasn't going for it. And, and really, it was um, expeditious more than anything. He needed, he needed more rank in his school. Because when they left, he was the only black belt again. And, uh, and then uh, I made it. And then shortly after me, Dave Hebler made it. And it, I, I equate to this. You remember back in the day when you, you, you pop popcorn over a fire and you mm-hmm. had the frying pan and you would hear one go, one go pop, 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 pop. Brrr. Yep. Suddenly, everybody was a black belt. <laughs> well, uh, because, I mean, there. There are more 10th degree black belts running around today than there were black belts back in 1975. Wow. But of course, that's what he had. I put it this way. I say to the guys that are like 30 or 40 years, I said, you think you've been in it a long time? You have. But you weren't there when there was only only three belts, white, brown, and black. And Ed, Ed, he described it this way. He said, you start out as a white belt. And then when you start thinking dirty, we give you a brown belt. <laughs> you just really think dirty, we give you a black belt. <laughs> so that's how he, he equated uh, black belt. He, he one time, I was at a, uh, a demonstration he put on for a, a columnist in, uh, in Los Angeles. Murray, Jim Murray was his name. And... Uh, and at nearly the end of his uh, his demonstration, which impressed the hell out of Murray. I mean, this guy wrote an article the next day. In fact, he titled it what Ed Parker had said, his quote. Uh, he said to him, he said, Mr. Parker, he says, can you describe your art succinctly? And, uh, and Ed thought about it for about two seconds. And he said, yes. He says, it's organized scientific dirty fighting. <laughs> and he started this article and I Organized scientific dirty fighting. I was at a school last night in Los Angeles. Evans is Evans with Ed Parker, and he wrote a great, a great uh, um, column. And uh, and I've, I have always thought of it that way. It, you know, like with the uh, with the MMA, they have rules. Right. Well, we have rules too. Anything goes. Anything goes. If you can stick that much of your finger in somebody's eye, that's the first thing you do. You kick them in the groin. That's that's actually they're both first things. <laughs> um, the uh, can I tell you one short story about the MMA? Absolutely. Do you know Archie Thompson? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, Arch decided to see just how bad, meaning good, he was. So he, he got into the MMA years ago, and he for two years he he. he Worked out with the MMA. That's two years. Two, I'm sorry, two and a half. Two and a half years, he, he got rid of I mean, he left Campbell, got into the MMA. And he had a very respect, respectable uh, record. He, he, he had several wins, I think, two ties, whatever. But really good. But he said, uh, well, first of all, he said, you know, you, you don't want to die doing that. So he says, enough is enough is enough. So he got out of it. <clears throat> and he went back to Campbell and started teaching it and so on. And he was, he was working out here. And they came in one night, and he's pretty, he's, he's kind of marked up. And I looked at him, and I said, <laughs> so I looked at him and thought to myself, you're going to fight. Sure enough. He said, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. 
And I said, what happened? He says, he said he was at work. He had to put something in the, in the dumpster and went out. And he said, there's a homeless guy out there. Words are exchanged. And he says, before you know it, throw punches. He said, I don't know what happened, really. I mean, it was just one of those goofy things. So I looked at him and I said, don't look like you come out unscathed. <laughs> what the hell happened to you? <laughs> well, I, I did get three good kicks. I said, to where? <laughs> He's the body. Archie, you couldn't kick him in the groin? <laughs> His quote, it never occurred to me. Mm. The first thing that we do is kick him in the groin. <laughs> yeah. 21 of our techniques. The first move is a kick to the groin or strike to the groin. 21 out of 55. And there's eight more that included. That's our, that's our main chart. It never <laughs> occurred to him. That's the dumbest thing I've ever. I mean, no, really, it's, it's not so dumb, but it's, it's just, it's just oh. quieting. <laughs> wow. It never occurred to him. Well, that's what can happen when you when you train. I mean, cross training is good in some cases. Um, I've had the opportunity to study with anybody I want to. Back in the day, I started going to Oshima. Oyama, Nishama, all Chuck Norris was right, right on the street. Of course, Chuck Norris was no better than we were at the time. <laughs> he, got, he got really good later, but at the time, he wasn't that good. Anyhow, we, uh, I, I could have studied with everybody. I've seen every style there is. Um, Bruce impressed me. Bruce Lee, the, he impressed me. Once I got over him being as arrogant as he was. <laughs> but... Uh, we became uh, we became friends. Uh, I, I like Bruce's uh, approach to everything, but it's no different than ours, really. He uh, he's just a more you know uh, his lines are different, but uh, his uh, philosophy and everything is about the same. If I had had a chance to study with anybody part time, it, it probably would have been Bruce. But the other guys, I've seen it all. I've seen what they do, and uh, we have as good a system. As there is, there is no best system because there is no best system. All of the all the systems are have their their attributes. All of them are good, but uh, but we've got what we have is well. Then of course, what we did later on in the eighties, uh, you know, we had to once we decided, uh, Vic and I decided to uh, teach by video. Everything had to change because I knew that we couldn't possibly teach what we had what we had been teaching in person on video. I mean that that system was just way too overweighted with with techniques and and it just uh, it, it was just almost impossible to learn in person, which would have made it totally impossible to learn on video. So uh, that's when we decided to uh, to cut it to the bone and make it mean and lean again. And it got fat and flabby over the years. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Ed Parker took what uh, Jimmy Wu had said about him to heart. He says, oh, you want more? I'll give you more. <laughs> <laughs> and he gave yeah. him so much. And the other thing, of course, is uh, more careful, more dollars. Right. We're still practicing those same 55 days. I've told people, people would ask me, they say, did you learn the newest form? I say, I haven't got short form three down yet. Now, now, not to where I want it. Oh, I can do it. I can do it like 
three minutes ago. I mean, to, uh, way, 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 way short. Uh, but there's so much the art and, and like perfection, there's no such thing. Nobody can be perfect at everything. Ed Parker could be perfect at everything. And he was as close to it as I know. He really was. He was, he, boy, what, what he could do with what he had. Uh, wow. Very, 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 very impressive. I mean, to see him move. Later on in life, he, uh, he learned, well, he's, you know, guy, he had reading crowds. I mean, he was overweight, uh, but he could still, he moved in bursts. He was just, and if you were oh, Oh, they finally settled out. But then he'd be already. Be a... <laughs> yeah. So he learned how to how to do it so that he could still impress you, but not continuously. But he didn't have to. Uh, <laughs> he learned how to do it, and uh, he, and he did it as well as anybody. I'm taking a page from his book now that I'm 91 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so Chuck, we got a question for you. What um. What were those early days like when you were forming, when you and Vic were forming the IKCA? What was that, what was that early period like, you know, in the creation process and in those early couple years? Well, creating the IKCA syllabus was a challenge for me because Vic wanted to keep everything that Ed Parker had. And I kept telling her, he can't teach it. How many black belts have you gotten so far when he was managing the school? He says, he says none. There you go, none. You, you, can't, you can't get anybody to the black belt. They can do about blue, and they look behind them and everything they've learned. Wow, wow. Then the court and they have to learn yet. They go, I can't do that. We, we're not, we're the, the Occidental mindset is not the same as the, the Asian. We can't like work with a knife for 10 years until you get it down. You know, we want our stuff faster. And, and I said, um, back in the day, See, that was that's the advantage that I had. I was there back in the day. And I saw how fast people got good. They got real good real fast because there wasn't hardly anything to learn. There was a whole lot to practice. And we practiced it over and over and over and over. And we didn't bother about learning new stuff. We had we had that stuff to, to practice. And they got good. They got they got real good. I mean they got very good. So I said, well, and I looked at that. Today's Karateka, I mean, in the 80s, and I said, we ain't that good. I mean, as a, as a group, uh, we're not that good as, as we were in the old days. So I said, you know, in order to go forward, we got to go backwards. We really have to go backwards in order to move forward. So that's what we did. That's what made, made the, the main thrust was to take it back to what it had been, what it was mean and lean. And so I started cutting from the big red book that Vic had, I just, I just started redlining stuff. And then, and then he said, no, 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 I like that one, I like that one. I said, throw a punch at it. All right, throw it you. Okay, do the technique. Boom, and I hit him. You're not, you know, you don't do that. He said, yes, you do. That's, that's the problem. That's what people do. They don't just go boom, 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 boom. And, and, and here you are open because you're, you're, you're concentrating on this. You can hit over it. That's so good. Can't do that. So basically, it was just logic. We just, I knew what it had been and why it was that way. And I knew why Ed Parker changed it and it made sense. But from a financial standpoint, 
and from uh, teaching and, and the syllabus and so on. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't as effective as it had been. And that's what I wanted. And by God, we got it. It was 55 techniques, 60 now because of the yoga. That's the other thing. We didn't have a kid's program at the time. We started this thing strictly for adults. And people began saying, well, my kids, my kids, yeah, kids, 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 okay. So we just took the first, we took five techniques out of the yellow belt techniques that he had. And we just, we were lazy about it. So we just took them. I mean, something like, uh, uh, Long tomorrow. Long tomorrow, yeah. Yeah. Um, fit in, fit in. You don't need long tomorrow. That, that's a lot of wisdom bullshit. <laughs> the uh, uh, gripping talent. When we, somebody grabs your wrist, you get, first thing you need to blast them, up, blast you, just blast. Them. That happened because I had said to a, a beginning student, I said, well, "What happens if I grab your wrist? He hit me in the mouth." <laughs> and I said, and he went, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I said, no, that's very good. I, I had to lift. I had to, you know, all the, the cherry inside and in your mouth and the teeth. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, it blasted me in the face. And I said, uh, of course, that's of course that's what you do. That's the first thing you do. So you go, oh, you say you, you, and then you get to have up and have again. You leave. You go home. You get to wait for the ambulance. <laughs> It, it was all logic. It was, that's what the art is really. I mean, if somebody said to you, before you ever started this, you have to create method of self-defense. You say to yourself, all right, well, I gotta, gotta you know, figure out how I can hurt people the, the fastest and, and the most and the shortest amount of time so I extricate myself, I'm, I'm gone. And you would start thinking about it. And eventually, you know, people are the whole made this thing up in the first place. It didn't come out on, on tablets from the mouth. You know, nobody, nobody said, and therefore on earth we shall have corrupted. No, it wasn't like that. It was like people. People figured it out. Some figured it out well, and some figured it out badly. Or not as well. Well, I got to tell you, when, you know, I can think about when I first saw you know, the videos, you know, and I, and I, that was the first exposure I had to the system sure. at first. Now keep in mind, you know, I came from a tungsido background. So all our kicks were, were very high. Um, as time okay. went on, I, I, I gained a great appreciation and I actually wanted to tell you a quick story, which I'm sure you will remember this. Um, back in 2013, we had a chance to train together when you guys came down to, to Silver Spring. And uh, I was telling David about this earlier. I said, you know, Chuck, you and I were, were up talking on the balcony, you know, before the seminar. And I remember the seminar was just about to start. And I think we were in the middle of some conversation of some sort. And you paused me and you said, hey, I got, I'll be right back. I said, Chuck, where are you going? And you, you told me you had to go race to go teach the basics. And I, and, I, and, I, and I innocently asked, I said, but Chuck, I said, there's so many other black belts. Why can't, why can't they go teach it? And you looked me in the eye and you said, this is the most important part. And the most qualified person has to teach the most important thing. And you walked right to that floor and you taught for the next half hour. I won't. Never forget that. Vic said the same thing when he got his, when he uh, created school. He said, "Oh, you teach the advanced class." I said, "No, I'll teach the beginners." Oh, you don't teach beginners? I said, "I teach beginners." No, 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 you should not. I said, "Vic, who taught you your basics?" You did. I said, "Are you happy with them?" Well, yeah. I said, "Of course, of course," because I'm a basics guy, man. I mean, the basics are absolutely the most important part of the whole thing. 
the whole thing. I mean, it's all those basic moves that, that allow you to do the more advanced moves. And if you don't do them well, you're not going to do the advanced moves well either. Yeah. Ed Parker said one time, he says, trying to try to do karate with bad basics is like building a skyscraper on sand. It ain't going to stand. Hmm. And that's true. You, you build a skyscraper on sand, otherwise, good basics are the only, only way to go. Um, so Chuck, I got, a, I got a question for you. Yeah, I think you've told a story before about what time that Ed Parker came into the dojo and closed all the doors and windows. He was going to teach the secret. Wait, will you tell that story? Because it's just one of my favorites. Yeah, it, it really shows his his person and uh, and his uh, his humor. Because, but yet there was there was a, a valuable valuable lesson in learning learning that. I had heard, and I know some of the other guys, you know, they, they talk here. And, uh, and they were talking about the uh, secrets. What's he going to teach us the secrets? And I'm kind of like, see, again, I'm older than these guys. I mean, these are all like advanced, right? 19, 20-year-olds. By this time, I'm 30 years old when I got my black belt, you know. And uh, this was actually before my black belt, but, but still, I'm in my late 20s. And, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, is those secrets? I mean, how? What can? I don't believe. Them. Well, one night we're we're working out, and I see him. I see the old man. And when I say the old man, he's only four months older. I mean, seven months older than I am. So, eight. And and he's not an old man, but that's what you call the skipper of a, of a plane of a ship or whatever. The old man. So I anyway, the old man walks past, and I, I'm looking at him. I'm working out, and but I'm kind of watching it too. And I think he's locking the back door. That's kind of strange. Then as he, he walks through, through the door, he and I were a while while we're doing our stuff, and he locked the front door. I said, oh, okay, what the hell's going on? And uh, then he goes, all right, all right, take, take a break, take a break, shake your legs off. He says, you, uh, I hear you guys. I hear what you had. He's saying, you think I don't, but I do. You want to know what I'm going to teach you? The secrets. The secrets of karate. What the night's the night? I, I, I was like, I'll be damned. There are secrets. <laughs> there really are. Wow. Well, this is this. Oh, I, I would have sworn there was no secret. I would have sworn I would not, I, I, I pooped all I did. So then he starts us doing basics, and we did basics, and we did more basics, and we did more basics. Until we were standing in a puddle of our own sweat, and you could hear it dripping, <laughs> and the guys were dying. And he says, "Gentlemen, that's the secret. You had them all this time." <laughs> and that, uh, he did that to more than one group. I understand. Uh, he did, uh, did it to a few others. I think I think we were the first to to get that treatment. And uh, and he was right, of course. And, and, and I remember the guys all go, oh, shit, there's a big secret. <laughs> Chuck, you got to tell uh, us yeah. a little bit about, um, and I remember you telling us, you know, and I've, I think I've heard you say it a couple times where Mr. Parker didn't actually run tests, uh, but the tests, no. every every day was the test. Can you can you tell us a little bit about well, that? Well, here again, in the early days, this is when we had white, brown, and black, and that's the only thing we had now. 
the 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 way the colored belts. I'll get into the the other thing first. Uh, this thing first. The way we had colored belts was uh, many of us thought that's a good idea, and he kept saying that's Korean, and he wouldn't do it just because it was Korean. That's what the Koreans do. I won't do that. I'm like, but Ed, it's a good idea. It's a great idea. I mean, it, it, you, what do we got? We got six. We have four four red tips on our on our white belt. I'm mean, sorry, brown tips. Brown tips on our white belt. But they were they were non-uniform. I mean, some were half an inch wide, some were less, some were more. Some were half a quarter of an inch in between, some were less, some were more. It was just whatever you felt like putting on your belt. And it looked like it looked terrible, really. I mean, you got to get right down on the seat and count what what the person he had. And I, I said, uh, I said, well, somebody came along and said. Do you realize that with every promotion, you get the fellow belt? And he was like, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. <laughs> Here the cash register ring. And uh, I think that was probably the biggest reason that we went to the color belt. But I know Dave, when Dave ever was, was big on the color belt. And I was too. I said, it's, it's so much more, uh, it has so much more of an impact if you do it with, with a changing color completely. I, it's, it's wow, and you can see it from across the room. I mean, you don't have to look careful to see how many stripes are on. So that's why we went to the color belt. But uh, the question was, what was the question again? <laughs> oh, you know, we were saying, uh, you know, when there was a time when, and I remember you telling us this story a couple of times where, uh, you know, Mr. Parker, he never oh. really ran a test. It was just in class, yes. it was awarded. I never tested for anything. I went all the way to seventh degree black belt. And, uh, and never never engaged in a test. However, uh, later on, he did start testing. And I think it was more of a, uh, of a demonstration. I think he did that for demonstration purposes, more than testing. When Ed Parker was, was awarding the, the belts, he was the only one awarding belts. Therefore, he saw you as a beginner, as an intermediate student, as an advanced student, as an advanced, advanced student, and so on and so forth. He saw you, what was he, blind, deaf, and dumb? He didn't know what you were doing? Of course he did. Because he, he was the one giving you your belt. And he was the only one giving, giving you out belts. Well, see, now, when Ed Parker lost, lost touch, when he, when he lost the, uh, I don't know, he called it the future. Uh, is when he promoted a person with black belt, and then that person went out and promoted the black belt, and that person went out and promoted the black belt, and he never saw them. We are the only organization that I know of, and I think we're the only organization in the world where everybody has come through the central organization. I mean, one of our black belts asked me recently, said, when will, when will the time come that we can test our own black belts? I said, never. He said, never. I said, never. They've got to come through the organization. Otherwise, we don't know what you're doing. How do we know what you're doing? This way, we get the teacher, and if they're not if they're not up to stuff, we go back to you, and we say, Ron, you, you put this guy up. Did you did you look at him? Did you see what he's doing? He's not doing what we're doing. You either get back on board or, or take off on your own because we, we don't we don't play that game. And we are the only organization that does that. I mean, you take all the others. I mean, whether it's Shotokan, Nishanru. Shituru, Kaisudo, uh, ending. They promote their black belts and, and say goodbye. They're on their own. I love that. 
Absolutely love that. So, look at the people that you see that are like third and fourth generation. They're doing exactly, exactly what we're doing. Nobody has gotten off. And the the other thing is, we will take any suggestion, take a good hard look at it, and integrate it in if we have to, if it's better, if it's something that's better. Now, the other systems do that. They want to keep it exactly as it was 2,000 years ago. It ain't the same as it was 2,000 years ago. We're not the same as we were 2,000 years ago. So if, if there's a modification, i tell you just, just recently, last week, Hugo Garcia, who's one of our guys, he's, he's here all the time, came along with Beheaded Dragon. Beheaded Dragon, when you're going from here to here, you can't generate enough power to make to make a difference hitting the wrist. I've told people, I'll block, I'll, you block me and go from here to here and hit me as hard as you can. So hit me as hard as you can, I say, <laughs> It didn't hurt. Now, with that, if you do down, I'm, this hand is right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna slam you. Technique was was ill thought out to begin with. We thought it was, we thought it was fine because we had done it. it, it you have a compliance cookie. You do it in the world. Anything, and it all looks good because he's making you look good. But when you go down to reality, it's not real. So we started dropping into the groin. Ah, now it goes, it goes in much better, but the arm doesn't want to bend that way. So it can't really get to the groin. You can get a lot closer, but I mean, you can get close enough, but maybe not because if it's late for it, then you can't get there. So it's still, it's still, still kind of, so you go on and, he, and he, instead, of, instead of dropping the arm down, he kept it up there and he used the other arm, the same as we do in, in uh, uh, repeating hammers. hammers. Uh, what, what's, what's it called? Yep, repeating hammers. Repeating hammers, yeah. And, uh, and, 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 he, and he comes up and, 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 and grabs your arm and does the job. That now the neck is really down there because he really buried that one. The arm goes real, real easy this way. It doesn't go hard, harder it doesn't go that way at all. But this way, is, and by changing the arms, oh my God. So, you know, now the form will stay the form. The form will stay the form. But we'll be teaching these things so that you know where to go, and you'll know the uh, uh, how to how to really, 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 really make these things work. And here we are, thirty. Let's see, from nineteen eighty-eight to now, thirty-four years in the system, and we and we just now had another change. I mean, another modification, another improvement. Holy you know, I got to tell you, I'm a, I'm a diehard, and I think I speak for, for David as well, is we're, we're both diehard believers in the system and the, and the testing. And Chuck, I, I don't know if you remember this, we were, uh, we were up in New York in, I think, 2012. And I said to you, you know, after, I think I said to you at the end of the seminar, I was blown away. You had your guys up from uh, Puerto Rico. And there were, uh-huh. I think Klaus was in from Denmark. And, um, you know, we came up from just a very short drive. You know, and I was right. just blown away at how everyone was doing the same thing, the same way. Yep. And every everybody was looking good. And I asked you, I said, Chuck, how is it that you're getting everybody to do things so well and so, 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 so consistently? And I think you mentioned to me that was the magic of the testing process, the way the IKCA is designed. Is that is that right? Right. Right. Yeah. The, the testing process is what 
what brings everybody together because if you're doing it a little bit differently we say yeah that's nice but try it try it this way you know and uh and we, we bring them all and they, they just keep doing it the same way everybody is just so right on point and and with with only 55 techniques i mean you can modify those and into whatever you want and 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 you just get better and better and better at them instead of instead of practicing it five times once a week, you practice it 50 times. That's a big difference. Because we you know, are practicing 10, 10 techniques, five times each. You practice one technique, 10 times each, or 50 times each. I mean, it's just, wow. And how many do you really need? How many techniques do you really need? We could have probably got by with 25. <laughs> but we, we really, I think the, the 50 kind of really, the 55 kind of really covers the whole thing. Tech, I got a quick question for you. Um, in terms of directions, how do you, how do Mr. Parker refer to, to directions in the cotter? Do you use uh, like the clock on the wall, like at 12 o'clock, six o'clock, nine o'clock, three o'clock? Do you refer to north, south, east, west? What do you, what do you prefer when you're, when you're teaching? I like directions. I like to, to face, uh, we face south. So then everything is, is just directions, uh, southeast. I mean, we don't, you don't break it down much more than, uh, uh, north by northwest. You know, it's either it's either north or west or north or northwest. We we basically work on on uh, uh, on an X and a, and a, and a cross. So forty fives are about the most. I mean, we don't. You could say uh, you step up to four thirty. Oh come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you got to go four thirty. What the hell is four thirty? Oh man, I get it. Uh, it is not. As long as you're not opening up and so on <laughs> yeah the uh the clock the clock system is good okay but here again you, you're not exactly on, you know you get a, there's two instead of instead of just cutting it in half um we use both they're kind of interchangeable gotcha okay you know we, we were curious about that um Another question for you is, do you have a favorite move? You know, we're getting close to that lightning round section here of the, the, the podcast episode. And we want to know, do you have a move that you that you have within the 55 moves? I know everyone loves, you know, uh, Fist of Fury, Five Swords. Is that your favorite or do you have another favorite within the, uh, within the system? I like whatever works. <laughs> <laughs> I like whatever <laughs> I don't give a damn <laughs> if it's as simple as a poke in the eye. I mean, a single, a single shot. Uh, it's it's whatever works with the uh, with the the situation at hand. Uh, that's my favorite. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm not limited to, uh, to any one thing. Now you see me do the the hand pull thing where you, you you pull your hand away, you know, and I can hit that hand nine times out of ten. And then you're trying like hell to, to pull it away and you're watching my shoulder, you're watching everything else. Um, I, I use that because if somebody can do that and you can't even move your hand, which is much more mobile than your head, you know that if he's that close and he, and he knows what he's doing, he owns your front teeth because he'll knock them out without, without, in a heartbeat. I mean, it's, it, that, that, that hand comes up so fast. And of course, I've got it down now to where there's no extraneous move. There's nothing, there's no, there's no telegraph. There's nothing. The first time you see it, it's about that far from your hand, and you can't move your hand that quick. And it, it's, it's still coming. So, and I hit the hand just about every time. 
And yet, and yet, I can move my hand, and you you can't hit it. Well, you you won't hit it more times than you will. But that that's just all that's just all practice. But here again, that that teaches you don't let them get that close. Because even if you're fast, if you're really fast, you can't move your head that fast, and he'll blast you. Once you're blasted, and they just you just even take a fist to the face, the nose goes. You're choking on your own blood. Your eyes are closed. You can't see. You're diminished. Your fighting skills are diminished. Yeah. And it doesn't take much. <laughs> well, Chuck, I, so I, I think David and I agree with you. We're, uh, we have 55 favorite moves as well. So yeah, for, <laughs> sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. yeah, when people ask me about a favorite, I, whatever whatever other 55 works, in fact, that there's just, you know, even a single move that isn't really, well, there's nothing that is a part of a technique. So <laughs> we use them all. You know, we, we wanted to ask you on your opinion on this. What do you see as the future? You know, where, you know, you've built this amazing system. And I got to tell you, the more and more that we train in it, the more and more we fall in love with it. You know, we've used this phrase before, David. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It's just the material is dynamite. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just amazing. And we continue to grow with it. I don't feel like we've plateaued at all. I feel like we're getting better each day. What do you see as the future for how you want the system to, to continue into the future? I think with guys like you, it's going to continue into the future. Um, I don't see it now. You know, when Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu came along, they, they took a chunk out of us. And it was, it, uh, it freaked everybody out. It really did. Because uh, if they get you in their water, They'll drown you. I mean, you're you're in trouble unless you know some of what they know. And uh, and I recommend that if you're young enough and uh, you know you're still viable, uh, do it. Uh, as you get older, I did it until I popped my knee out, and then I said, well, that's that's enough of that. I, the next thing you go is the shoulder, then my neck, and I'll die. Uh, in fact, I don't know you did die on a couple of things. I swear that's why he died. And they broke his neck, and they never did recover. And uh, anyhow. Uh, they came along and, and see, first of all, they stacked the deck against us. They said, we want to, we want to challenge you. Come to New Jersey. We're going to challenge you. Well, they know we freestyle. We don't fight, but we freestyle. Well, and they know we're used to that. That's that's how we fight. That's how we train. And they know also if we want to fight, we fight, but they can use everything in their arsenal. We can't because we don't actually bam hit. We don't actually you know make contact, heavy contact, serious contact, because we can't. So they were beating guys left and right, choking guys out, guys were freaked out. Oh my God, I got to learn this. Well, they did, and eventually they were no better than anybody else because the guys got enough of their stuff and they were fine. But in the beginning, they 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 came to, to the studio, our studio, twice. And uh, Vic was, what do we do? What do we do? And I said, well, I said, I've had enough time to think about it now. I'll tell you what we do. Next time he comes, tell him, we set your challenge, but we get to choose the place. And it's going to be a fight. It's not going to be a match. It's going to be a fight. The blows are going to land, every one of them, as hard as we can make them land, they're going to land. And 
fight is going to take place in the bathroom of the dojo. Mm. You try and get somebody spread out in the bathroom. And I don't know how deaf they are choking you out standing up. I got knees and I got elbows and I got headbutts and I got fingers. And I, got, I got all the weapons I need to keep somebody away and, and, and hurt them. I mean, as soon as I said, the fight starts when the door closes and it ends when it opens and, and somebody walks out. Now I said, if they accept that challenge, first of all, they're crazy because they're going to realize now oh, they're going to say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We, we don't want to fight. We want to match. Match bullshit. Not a match. Come on. This is not a match. This is a fight. I said, I'll tell you who's going to walk out. This is going to walk out. Because they're not used to getting hit. They're not used to getting knees in a groin. They're not used to getting headbutted in the face. They're not used to getting fingers in your eyes. They're used to taking you down with no resistance, really. You're coming this way here. <laughs> what are you doing? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You're doing nothing to them, but they're doing everything to you. And your shoulder out of its joint, or to your, your, your elbow. Oh, they had the world at their, at their fingertips. They stacked the deck against us. And we didn't, them guys didn't realize it. I said, if they, if they accept the challenge, also, and I'm being a complete idiot, I know that they, they, they know that they win when you tap out. So if I was getting the worst, I'd tap out. You want <laughs> you want Chuck, I'm going I'm I'm to have to borrow that strategy next time. I'm going to just tap out and make them think we're done and then. <laughs> sure. Yeah, try and tap out with us sometimes. <laughs> it's like Archie, you know, never occurred to him. Yeah, guys, I, I, I tell you, I know that if you get, if you get rid of Julia, I know, I know that he's going to let you go. <laughs> oh, guys, I'm, I'm going to be using that one, Chuck. That is good. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Coach David, what are, what are we forgetting to ask, Chuck? I have a, a question, and I don't know that there's an answer to it, but you've been awarded pretty much every acclimate there is. You know, you're in the Hall of Fame. You, you know, you started a system. You, you, you know, you've got a billion things. Is there any one thing that you'd say is like the thing you think of as I'm most proud of, or I'm most happy that I accomplished in my martial arts career? I think the system. The system has proven itself. I mean, it really, really has. It's, it's been in existence now for uh, 34 years. And uh, I was around for the first 30 years of, with Ed Parker, and I saw what, what happened to his system. It, it just got so overblown and so unteachable and unlearnable. Uh, uh, this, this system has proved itself. It was an idea whose time had come. And it was something that, like I said, we had to go back to the beginning. Ed forgot his beginnings. He really did. He went for the for the future. Ed Park was a visionary. He uh, maybe had he lived long enough, he could have proven his system was better than ours. He didn't live long enough. He just he just didn't. Uh, I doubt whether he could have anyhow because you can't. It's, it's unsustainable, uh, that system. I mean, you can't keep learning and learning and learning and without practicing what you know. And that's all they were doing is learning. They never, they never really were able to perfect, and and even even little perfections. I mean, we you know we talk about being perfect or gaining perfection. It's um, 
it's elusive. But you got a much better chance of doing it when you're doing it over and over and over and examining it and re-examining it and doing it and doing it. You got a, a much better chance of, of coming up with something that's really, really solid and that flows easy. And it's something you don't have to think about. You know darn very well. If you have to think about it, you, you already did. <laughs> you can't be thinking. There's, your, your mind goes totally blank when you're freestyling. All you're doing is watching movement. Just, just try to pick up something and try to be fast. Try to be, try to be first. Be first. Always be first. That preemptive strike is absolutely paramount. Absolutely. And we, we practice that a lot, uh, you know, just being first. Just, uh, just I, mean, I mean, that's why that, that, the handful thing is so important. So you're there, boom, you just you know, clap somebody in the face. And and, uh, and that's only the beginning because right from there you're going, it's going to continue on from there. You don't just go at one time. That just gets it started. Uh, it's, uh, it ain't rocket science. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Chuck, we're, Chuck, we're getting close to wrapping. I want to ask you a question. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're just so fortunate to have you here to celebrate, you know, episode 100. And, you know, we have not just our students from within our school, but uh, we're, we're, we're humbled to say that there's, there's over 60 countries listening in, you know, from all around who kind of tune into the podcast. And, we want to ask you, what message do you have for everybody who's tuning in, not just in the short term, but in, in the future, who's going to listen to this episode? What message do you want to leave everyone with, you know, from all of this amazing accomplishments that you've talked about, and, you know, Coach David, you know, that you talked about, all these amazing things that you've, you've learned and you've shared with us today? Is there any final words that you want to kind of share with us uh, before, we, before we go our separate ways here? I think... The system itself is going to endure forever because until man can develop a third appendage from his chest for striking and have these for blocking, in other words, a third arm or a third leg or something like that, I, we've only got what we've got to work with. And that's all we need. And, and that's all we have. So that's all we're going to have. Uh, like I've, I've said before, a, uh, a knife or a gun is, is much better for self-defense. It's, it's much more definitive, but you don't have it all the time. If you, in order for a weapon to be really, really effective, it's got to be in your hand. You have to walk around with a loaded pistol in your hand all the time. Lay it down to do things and then put it back in your hand. Switch it over your hand and put it in your belt. Whatever you do. It's, it's not going to do any good in your, in your boot, in your, in your glove compartment of your car. It's only good for now. With our natural weapons, they're good. They're with us all the time. Day and night, jump out of the shower. Ta-da. You got them. So I think this system is, is it's just going to prove itself more and more. And, and that's all you need. I really feel it's all you need to, to have what you should have for the rest of your life. And as far as uh, new things coming along, uh, until somebody comes up with a third arm, and then we have to learn how to, how to negotiate that. That's ridiculous. But anyhow, it's, uh, it's kind of a joke to, uh, to me to put it that way. Um, but it's, it's, it's no joke. I mean, me, you've only got two arms and two legs. And how much can you do with them? And, how, and what can you do to defend against them? 
and we we've got a, a, a learnable system, a practicable, practic practical and practicable system. It's something you can practice easily. We can do our form in the bathroom if you have to. You know, it doesn't take a lot of room, a lot of space, uh, and you, you can you can make it take a lot of space if you want to do bonsai run 30 feet, and you're capable of it. Um, I just I just see it becoming more and more defined with guys like yourself and then the people you're training, and they're going to grow up and uh, and they're going to have it. And they're going to teach it, and uh, that's all they need. Well, Chuck, we got people listening from all over, and you know they might not know how to find information about the IKCA. Is it accurate to say uh, going to the website to the KarateConnection.com website is that the best way to find out more about the system? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, I've taken on two new people. I mean, better not do. I mean, Dave uh, Gigliotti and. Uh, and Steve, uh, Steve Z, uh, Zalazowski, um, they are really defining uh, the, 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 uh, the information, how to get it, uh, where to find it, uh, and, and, uh, and, and they've got things going on with the association and things of that sort. It, there's, there's been like three phases of the, of the connection, the credit connection. One was where we, we, we uh, instituted the whole system and, and taught it. And uh, and then when when Vic uh, retired, uh, I let the I let it go, and I, I just didn't have the capacity to to run it all by myself. And we did that for a few years, and finally I said, you know what, uh, it, it's too good to let go. So I, I brought these guys in, and they've done a, a fantastic job, and they're going to continue to do a fantastic job. And, and in fact, in time, I mean, they're going to get more people to help them, and uh, and it'll, it'll get even bigger and better. Um, I, I see it now as phase three. Uh, this is a new rebuilding stage, and it is getting better all the time. It's, it's just coming along fantastically well. They, they're doing a tremendous job. So glad I did what I did. And I didn't want what happened to Ed Parker's system to happen ours, where it's fractionalized and everybody went their own way. I mean, when I'm gone, you say, bye. We still got what we got. And it'll, it should stay there forever. It literally should. That's awesome. Well, Chuck, this has been absolutely amazing. And, you know, we'll put all this in the show notes as well. So, so folks, if you're listening here to, to this point, you scroll to the very bottom of the podcast episode, we'll put all the links for how you can get in touch with Chuck and the IKCA and learn more about the system. Um, Coach David, what are we forgetting to say here before we wrap up? Uh, well, I just personally want to send a big thank you to Senior Grandmaster Chuck A for joining us today, but B, um, for creating the thing that we love. I mean, there's so many people. We read your, you know, the bio yesterday and, you know, having over 600 active black belts and them teaching hundreds of people. I mean, it just, it's spread to so many people so far over, you know, all these countries and uh, it boils right back down to you and, you know, Vic as well. But I just, I'm really appreciative that, uh, that it's, it's there and thank you. Well, it boils all back down to Ed Parker, really. Ed Parker was the start of the whole thing. Uh, he started the first brick and mortar school in the in the United States teaching karate of any style. Um, there may have been people teaching in the garages or the backyards before him, but uh, I doubt it. Nobody, nobody, but nobody knew what it was. Even in 1959, when I started, 
and and there were people in it already, but like a handful, and we were the only people in the country that knew what it was really all about. Uh, he started it. Uh, he kicked it off. He went astray, I felt, uh, but he had five kids. Five, he had seven mouths to feed. I only had four. <laughs> that's, that's a big difference. And uh, he, let's see, he had five. Yeah, he had, he had five kids uh, and his wife. So uh, he, he had a, a lot on his plate. And, uh, and he had to do certain things that were, I felt, counterproductive. But uh, he, he had to do, oh, I'll tell you this. He created the biggest and the best tournament in the world. Uh, the international championships in Long Beach was, was the, the championships to win. And uh, that's another whole story. I never got into that. But uh, um, we'll have another one of these sometime. We'll, we'll talk about the internationals. I think I, I think I can smell a part two coming up uh, down the road, guys. So. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Chuck, well, we would love to have you back in the near future here. This has just been such a treat. It's just been so amazing. And I can't even begin to tell you how many lives you impacted just in our small little sphere here in the Washington DC area and yet alone the world. It's, it's just been amazing. So thank you, sir. Full, full salute to you, sir. And we, we appreciate you. Thank you so hey much. guys. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been a treat. Well guys, for the Kaizen Karate podcast, I'm coach V and I'm coach David. Be well, take care. We'll see everyone soon.